Hello and welcome to Sky Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we will provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I am one of your hosts, Andre Krenikov. And I'm your other host, Dr. Sharon Joe. And this week we'll be talking about how machine learning and traditional programming comes together into the building blocks of computing. We'll talk about a robot that keeps your grandparents' uh, company. We will also be chatting a bit about an all NLP model from Meta AI, as well as how AI has suggested new possible chemical weapons very quickly. We will cover a deep fake Zelensky surrender video related to the Russia-Ukraine war. And we'll talk about AI-generated utopias as well as AI-generated games for fun at the very end. Yep, so it should be fun. Let's dive straight in. First up, in applications and business, we got the article Machine Learning Reimagines the Building Blocks of Computing from Quanta Magazine. And this is a bit of an overview article on this set of AI research about combining traditional algorithms, so things that do, for instance, sorting of lists or finding paths from point A to point B in Google Maps with uh, machine learning. So these algorithms, right, go back decades in computer science, and they are all hand-coded. It's the logic to solve these different problems like sorting or uh, finding paths. And machine learning is obviously very different. There we use data to sort of in a noisy way learn to do a task instead of hand-coding the solution. And it turns out these very different approaches to solving problems can be complementary. So this article covers uh, a few kind of use cases focusing uh, especially on one of the earlier papers uh, on this called the case for learned index structures. So this was from 2018. Uh, this is from 2018, uh, and it uh, showed how a simple Bloom filter, which basically filters out uh, things, websites that are bad, for instance, could be combined with a machine learning classification network to reduce false positives. It, it was basically complementary. And then it goes on to talk about uh, work since then on things like scheduling algorithms for uh, computer OSs, chip design, and uh, databases. So there's been quite a bit of work in this, although it's still kind of a niche area. This is really cool. I think this uh, very much is you know related to at least in the spirit of uh, what Codex and Copilot have done, which is, you know, in, in program synthesis. Um, and this is a different, a very different flavor of it, but to uh, tackle different algorithms and make them more efficient, this seems like, you know, there might be, there might be something here in terms of what we learn from AI on, on new types of algorithms. Uh, and I'm very excited to see what those algorithms could be. And I think we've seen, you know, AI be able to handle very unstructured environments and learn from those very well. And so I I think there are ways where they could probably push the frontier here. Yeah, for sure. 
It was actually quite interesting um, after this 2018 paper and combining Bloom filters with machine learning, another paper came out next year producing the theory behind it. So at first it was just empirical results and then someone else did the research and formalized it and showed that you can prove some properties. And I, I followed this a little bit. I think uh, kind of the most exciting bit is that machine learning allows you to learn the typical case that is found in your data or your application, which uh, you know hand-coded algorithms cannot do. So for things like searching for queries in a database or Google searches or you know classification of spam, uh, this could really speed up computation uh, in many ways. So I think this will probably become commonplace and is yeah really quite a big deal that probably a lot of people are not aware of. I think it's also funny that uh, it, very stereotypically, the first paper that was very empirical was, you know, a bit of MIT, but also Google, very much Google researchers uh, also putting it out. Uh, and then the formal definition where Vincent Mocker, a professor at Harvard, uh, basically said, I'm fairly unsatisfied with these empirical results. Let me formalize it and actually uh, identify the theory behind it. Exactly. And uh you know, there's a lot of theory, a lot of research in databases, in, in a lot of algorithms. It's its own subfield of computer science. So it also is an example of an interdisciplinary kind of sub-area of AI, which we've been seeing more and more of. So really, really exciting. Yeah. And, and this article, especially for computer science people, I think is well worth reading. And on to our next article, Meet LEQ, the robot who wants to keep grandma company. Uh, so an Israeli company called Intuition Robotics uh, actually officially released LEQ after a very long beta period. Uh, we've talked about LEQ before, but it's basically an AI companion for the elderly. And, you know, it invites you to different games. It'll give you health uh, recommendations. It'll give you music ideas. Uh, and it'll basically comfort someone in their solitude. And this, the, the CEO specifically says that unlike other conversational agents, LEQ will expect to remember conversations and have contacts and be able to help you deal with difficult times as well as celebrate really great times. Uh, very much like a friend uh, and one of the users, a 65-year-old administrative assistant who doesn't live with anyone else, actually said, quote, this is my little family, my little dog, my LEQ and me. And so LEQ costs uh, around $250 with a monthly service of $30. And, you know, they're tackling a giant market of 14 million Americans over the age of 65 who live alone. And this will only increase because of uh, the boomer generation. And what I find really, really interesting about LEQ is uh, they very much bring in, you know, screenwriters to create a character for LEQ so that it has its personality. And this is very similar to Replica, which we've uh, covered before, but towards a very different audience where Replica might be, you know, more of a girlfriend to someone or, or a companion to someone maybe younger. Here, LEQ is very much for uh, an elderly, uh, the elderly population. Yeah, yeah. So you've talked about these sorts of things before for social contact, also for mental health. And as I've expressed before in a podcast, I'm pretty excited about this area of robotics. And I think it does deserve 
some recognition. Um, we've talked about, you know, how it is a little bit weird or a little bit creepy to think of socializing and, and developing emotional attachments to a robot, to a thing. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's, you can think of like, if you're alone in a house, you can, you know, scroll through the internet or watch TV, or you can chat with this device on random stuff for a bit. And I think it's not a replacement for socializing with human beings, but it is a bit of a compliment uh, and, you know, is, is a form of uh, socializing that is healthy and can be kind of um, helpful, I guess. So uh, cool to see this coming out and, and being actually fairly affordable, uh, unlike many past iterations. And we'll see if this actually, uh, you know, picks up because prior attempts have actually gone bankrupt with these sorts of robots. So um, hopefully this one will actually work well and stick around. The article does mention, you know, the Wally effect, which is interesting uh, to put a name on it. Uh, and it's that when machines do too much of the emotional work so that people will no longer want to, you know, socialize with other humans. And I, and I thought that was um, interesting to put the name Wally to it. And of course, other many other technologies uh, are also uh, kind of dabbling in this area. And we're, it's unclear just yet whether this is something negative. Uh, that being said, uh, I was I was very much struck by a quote from one of the users that said, uh, when you're a young person, even if you live alone, you have a career, maybe you volunteer, you have things to do. But when you're retired, you have to look for those things to do. You have to find a way to combat that sense of isolation. And was, so I thought that was really interesting. There are just like fewer things to do. And as a result, having this companion is just ever so, so important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these interactions aren't super deep, right? But, uh, you know, they're pleasant. So there's something, there's some examples here like LAQ, I'm going to sleep. Uh, and LAQ responds, are you still sad? And this person responds, I am a little. And it then says, would you like me to call your care team or Jennifer? And this person can then reply, let's see how it goes tomorrow. And then it says, good night, LAQ, good night, Susan. So it's also a bit of an assistant. And uh, yeah, something to chat about whoever or, you know, your day. So definitely important to also invest in other forms of elder care. But I do think this is a technology that is useful and probably will become commonplace. And on to our lightning round of articles. Uh, the first one is AI startup AIB becomes unicorn with fresh funds from Xiaomi. So AIB uh, develops technologies such as speech recognition, computer vision, NLP, big data analysis, uh, and they are the uh, latest unicorn in the AI space uh, and also very much you know, backed by, by Chinese uh, funders, including Sequoia Capital in China. The next article is spending on artificial intelligence solutions will double in the U.S. by 2025, according to a new IEC spending guide. And uh, they say that it'll grow to about $120 billion by 2025, uh, which shows a CAGR compound annual growth rate of 26% over this forecast of 2021 to 2025. Mm -hmm. And then some other ones we have here, uh, we have Chrome extension can detect fake profile pictures with 99.29 
accuracy. So it's an extension that can detect deepfakes with very high accuracy, although I suspect this is a bit cherry-picked. And then lastly, we have uh, this other story, Mr. Robotics Partners with Chipotle, uh, Chipotle for tortilla chip-making robots. So Mr. Robotics has previously partnered with White Castle for frying and flipping burgers, and now they are making tortilla chips for Chipotle. So that's pretty cool. Next up, we have research and advancements. First up, AI suggested 40,000 new possible chemical weapons in just six hours. Uh, it's covering the paper dual use of AI-powered drug discovery, and it's kind of pretty straightforward. It's basically there are these techniques for discovering useful molecules that filter out toxic things, and then this team flipped it and searched for toxic things and actually found a lot of bad things, uh, even some that were similar to existing chemical weapons. So uh, without getting sensational, this is actually quite concerning because it's fairly straightforward to replicate and, and really doesn't take much expertise to at least get these suggestions for chemicals that are uh, could be used as weapons. This really shook up the AI world a little bit, uh, this article and this paper, uh, because I think what people realize is you can always put a negative sign on something and you could optimize for the opposite uh, the in, in the inverse. So uh, here, I think people were shocked at how quickly the AI was able to learn things like nerve gas. Um, but it is the reality of this tool that anything that we do do for good, if you put it, flip a negative sign on it, it, it will it will do something that it will optimize for something else. So, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. This is uh there's been a lot of discussion of this dual use of AI as a technology. Dual use means anything you can use for good, you can also use for bad things. And there's a lot of examples where this is true uh, with this drug discovery being the latest one. So concerning, but uh, good that we are aware of it and you know the research field can take into account. And on to our next article, uh, Meta AI's sparse all MLP model doubles training efficiency compared to transformers. And so this is an article based on the paper Efficient Language Modeling with Sparse All MLP. And uh, this is from a FAIR uh, Facebook AI research. And they basically use a GMLP, which is a gated MLP, uh, uh, which has shown in previous work to have done quite well compared to transformers when it comes to perplexity, but they actually uh, still aren't as good in downstream performance. But here, what uh, the researchers are suggesting is an all MLP um, uh, architecture that is actually strong or has strong potential in all of these areas of, you know, computer vision, NLP, and these downstream task performances. So uh, what's really exciting about this work is I think we're almost thinking about the next architecture already. So we're already moving on from transformers uh, and uh, very much uh, using mixture of experts, MOE techniques to uh, enable, um, enable this architecture. And I think the most um, Kind of the thing to take away from a couple of these architectures, GMLP, it was the spatial uh, gated component uh, of the MLP making that working. Uh, and uh, for, for this model, it is specifically using the mixture of experts uh, to be able to route, um, route, route the task to uh, different experts. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, as, as we've seen, there's a lot of work on these transformer extensions. This one gets 2x improvement in training efficiency. Often we haven't optimized for efficiency, but it's increasingly important. So, yeah, cool to see this extension and, uh, you know, improvement on a very important thing of transformers. And on to our lightning round. The first article is titled Researchers from Italy Use Machine Learning to Distinguish Different Stages and Severity of Parkinson's Disease by Voice. So looking at the voice uh, to be able to identify different uh, possible stages of how far you are into Parkinson's disease. The second article is Researchers from Northwestern University Come Up with More Efficient AI Training with a Systolic Neural CPU. And so this is Northwestern University uh, researchers presenting a new design. They combine the traditional CPU with a systolic CNN accelerator uh, on a single core. And this results in a highly programmable as well as a versatile unified design. Yep. And then for last articles in the lightning round, we have HPC AI's FastFold shortens AlphaFold training time from 11 days to 67 hours, which of course reduces the economic cost of alpha, uh, alpha fold training. And we also have uh, EDF researchers uh, propose Hypermixer, a competitive MLP-based green AI alternative to transformers. So very much similar to that uh, article we just covered from Meta. Moving on to our society and ethics stories, we have first up AI and disinformation in the Russia-Ukraine War. So this is uh, some overview articles of how AI is being used for misinformation. Nothing particularly surprising, but it's good to be aware of it. Uh, obviously, social media is where misinformation is spread and recommendation algorithms are kind of what's driving it in many cases. Uh, interestingly, TikTok appears to be maybe the main uh, tool or one of the main tools in this instance. And yeah, Russia is very good at it. So they have a lot of people spreading these sorts of misinformation in ways that go viral or reach people. And of course, we haven't seen too much uh, AI use for uh, generating this misinformation, but there has been an example of a deep fake of the Ukrainian president uh, saying basically to surrender to his citizens, which uh, was flagged. So maybe the first instance of a deep fake being used to this sort of propaganda, which is a pretty big deal. And one of the versions was actually viewed over 100,000 times on Twitter uh, before the writing of this article, of course. And uh, in retaliation, in a sense, uh, a deep fake video of Vladimir Putin was also uh, posted and that one is also getting quite a few views. So uh, you know this is uh, this is this uh, now the fight is in AI space and deepfake space, I suppose. Uh, but it is this is misinformation at its max. Yeah, this is a very small part of the sentence, but it is an example of how we might see this in future conflicts for sure. And on to our next article, powered by artificial intelligence, autonomous border towers test Democrats' support for surveillance technology. Uh, I found this article really interesting. It uh, walks through um, exactly what's going on with uh, you know, U.S. Customs and Border Protection deploying a lot of 
Uh, surveillance towers are actually 175 already with Anduril, uh, which is a California-based security and defense contractor. Uh, but it also goes into uh, a very, it gets very politicized in this article, uh, and it also discusses uh, people's real lived experiences at the border. And what's uh, very interesting is that, uh, you know, the Biden administration has been leaning towards expansion of autonomous surveillance technology instead of having uh, the budget be put towards uh, people guarding the border in some way. And so using technology much more. And that's a big difference from uh, the Trump administration, um, the, the leaning towards that. Uh, and Congress uh, actually this week uh, had a $21 million um, spending package for additional operations and uh, actually uh, an even larger pool, more than $200 million for border security technology uh, to expand this autonomous surveillance. Uh, what's a little bit ironic is that Anduril, the company helping with these towers, it's CEO is Palmer Lucky, who made Oculus and is uh, a very open Trump supporter. Uh, so, so that's interesting. But he says, you know, that is po politics aside. I, I want to just put this out there. Uh, and of course, uh, there's a quote from uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who says that both parties are fairly uh, shameful and, you know, um, put endless money into militarization. Right. Yeah. So kind of a big deal, certainly. And uh, not surprising, I would say this may, probably was just inevitable. Uh, so uh, definitely would be pretty potent technology. So again, good to be aware of the ways that AI is really making an impact in uh, kind of everything, uh, especially surveillance technology, which we talk about a lot. And specifically how the uh, platform works uh, is that at least a software platform that looks through these towers is that it can enable one operator to be able to look across multiple camera streams. So you, they can look at different objects and also provide coordinates. And this is instead of dealing with dispatchers spoken coordinates and directions, which was uh, the previous case uh, of, of how they navigated this whole space. Uh, and now they also found that there are far fewer people actually just even going through and walking through these spaces where there are these towers uh, because of the surveillance. So there are just like far fewer people because they know that they're being surveyed. Yeah. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense for this application. Ultimately, uh, AI is technology. And I think the question here should be, you know, to what degree should we be doing surveillance and not you know, is this a bad use of AI? It's more about, do you want to do a sort of surveillance? So good to be aware of it expanding uh, as something to, you know, maybe uh, lobby against or, or just know that AI can be used to this. And on to our lightning round. The first one is ransomware hackers used AI images, Microsoft flaw in campaign. And so this was a group of ransomware hackers actually breached hundreds of companies last year and exploited a vulnerability in Microsoft Windows uh, and actually used AI to create fake LinkedIn profiles uh, that, you know, Google found uh, out about. So the second article is the 2022 AI index 
industrialization of AI and mounting ethical concerns. Um, and, uh, you know, one quote from it, uh, from Jack Clark, who is the co-chair of the AI index is that 2021 was the year that AI went from an emerging technology to a mature technology. We're no longer dealing with a speculative part of scientific research, but instead something that has real world impact, both positive and negative. And I really think this is, I, I would agree with this. Yeah. We were just discussing a, a lot of these ethical concerns and do every week. And then for the other articles, we have Here's How Americans View Facial Recognition and Driverless Cars, a new survey. Uh, interestingly, people support filtering of misinformation and uh, police use of facial recognition, but oppose driverless cars. So interesting survey about attitudes. And then we also have There's More to AI Bias Than Bias Data, according to NIST, uh, the kind of regulatory agency, uh, and it highlights that AI bias also stems from human biases and s systemic institutional biases and not just data. And then to close things out, as always, we have some fun and neat stories, uh, starting out with AI-generated utopias from AI Weirdness, which is a weekly blog doing fun stuff of AI. Uh, this one uses GPT-3 to generate descriptions and names of utopias that are really funny. So, for instance, uh, there is Magical Utopia that says, we've got a wizard living in the shed who occasionally comes out to do magic and eat cheese sandwiches. He has a very limited repertoire of spells, but at least it keeps the goats happy, which uh, <laughs> sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. I don't know. I mean, I like the kitten utopia. Everyone wants to have a kitten. Please let me have a kitten. This is the kitten utopia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, like the robot one is pretty funny. Uh, robot utopia. Robots do everything for us automatically. Occasionally, they attack us with lasers. But otherwise, it is a nice place. I'm like, Is that a utopia? Is that the best we could do with robots? <laughs> uh, it sounds pretty nice. It's a nice place, ex except for lasers. Uh uh, yeah, there's a lot of these, uh, so you should check out the the article. Uh, just to do one more, we have Steampunk Utopia. All the cool guys have airships, all the dames have giant hats, everyone has goggles. So it really sounds like a, a Steampunk <laughs> Utopia. Yeah. Okay, and to be clear, even like the sane prompts, like Nature Utopia, outputs, the goats are carrying parasols and enjoying picnics in the seed pod forests. <laughs> I would, I would love that utopia, actually, in particular. Yeah, as always, AIReadness.com is fun, so check it out. And on to our last article titled Building Games and Apps Entirely Through Natural Language Using OpenAI's Code DaVinci Model. All right, so we know that, you know, we can generate code now, but actually what this person did is not, you know, not let themselves write any code and only put natural language in to the model, Codex model uh, by OpenAI to output uh, code to create games. Uh, and there are lots of different cool games. Um, he made a really simple, very, very simple Zelda game. Uh, there was tic-tac-toe uh, and uh, overall, it was a really cool set of games that, uh, that you could just do by 
you know, by giving just natural language uh, prompts. That being said, you have to kind of know how the code might be written to give the right prompts. So you have to mention, you know, there's a canvas, for example. It's not like the person doesn't know how to code and is uh, saying those things, but it's very cool that you don't really need to write any code um, and you're basically writing pseudocode uh, for it to output uh, a game for you very quickly. And overall, the, the person found that uh, a few different, you know, a few different learnings, which is that you should number your different instructions of how the game works. That helps a lot. You should be very willing to retry your prompt um, because there is quite a bit of variability. Uh, you should create functions to make things because uh, the model is quite good at making functions uh, and that'll help you uh, be able to modularize uh, what, you're, what you're telling the model to do. And then you should uh, think about logic first and make the logic elements first and then the UI elements. And that's just empirically what he found. Yeah, so really fun. Yeah, and he really stresses that there, this was entirely AI generated, no editing on his front. And he generated eight different things, uh, so pretty flexible. He did a painting app, also a mage generator, an image manipulation tool. So uh, pretty impressive stuff for sure. And, and you know, obviously this is still the early days. So a, a pretty strong demonstration of if we can do this now, what will we be able to do in the future? Uh, really neat. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Scanner Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And we always ask, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We would don't really forget. appreciate it. Don't forget. Don't we forget. Will read, we read them and Think they make us. us feel nice. Yeah. You know, we will appreciate it. You can give us, uh, you know, a little nice feeling just by... Yeah. <laughs> a, a short review. Isn't that nice? The improv is real at the end of these. It sounds like Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, uh, you know, be sure to tune in and leave that review.